everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Welcome to Your Tech Life, episode 367. I am in San Jose, California, after a uh, bit of a week in London, and uh, we're here now for WWDC, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. Your Tech Life brought to you by the good people at Garmin, Satellite Navigation, GPS Technology, Trend Micro, Home and Internet Security, and BlackBerry. BlackBerry's back. Uh, the key one available next month. You can pre-order that online very, very soon. Tell you more details about them all shortly. So let's start with Apple because I'm here um, and we are uh, a day away from their big keynote uh, where you would expect a large number of announcements um, from the world's most recognizable tech company. Now, we'll, um, we'll do an episode of Two Bugs Talking Tech uh, in the day after WWDC, so you can get a full rundown on that um, from Stephen and I. <clears throat> Interestingly, though, I don't know about this. This is an interesting event because they've changed their focus. They've changed their location for a start. Now, um, the Worldwide Developers Conference has been held for many, many years. I think it might be uh, around 28 degrees, uh, 28 years. Uh, so for 15 years... Um, it might be 30, actually. For 15 years, Apple held the Worldwide Developers Conference here in San Francisco, San Jose, um, which is quite close to Cupertino, which is where the, um, the company is headquartered. But in 2003, the event moved to San Francisco over to the Moscone Center. And 15, another 15 years later, it's back to San Jose. So it's kind of a return home for the, for the conference. And to set the scene, the Worldwide Developers Conference is all about as the title would have you know, uh, developers from <clears throat> around the world uh, coming to uh, learn of, more from Apple. And essentially what happens here is you get the keynote. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's actually more about uh, the developers learning about devices, uh, software and code, not learning how to code, but how to do specific things. So what happens is there are I think hundreds of sessions across the week. Um, there might be a session on how to integrate into CarPlay. There might be a session on how to make the most of the um, accelerometer on the iPhone. You know, there's there's basically sessions about almost every feature of the of their devices, which allows developers to get the most from um, their their app development, as opposed to just you know coding for a, for a touch screen. The, the the conference allows them to learn more and see more. Um, about the devices and Apple wants you know quality apps being built and they want that um, you know press flesh, press the flesh time with developers and <clears throat> these uh, each individual session is quite advanced they uh, you know they have a presenter it's all uh, recorded developers can then access that stuff via a developer portal at any time so you don't need to be here but obviously being here allows you to get a bit closer to the engineers and ask questions and things like that so the actual purpose of the week. It's for developers to get that um, that FaceTime and that hands-on time um, with Apple engineers. But I think the highlight of the week and the, and the focus of the week externally is on the very first day. So I'm um, recording this on Sunday morning uh, in San Jose. Uh, it The keynote uh, occurs in about 30 hours from now. Um, right next door to my hotel, actually, the, um, the McInerney uh, Convention Center here in San Jose. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the process is always pretty pretty straight down the line. Uh, there's a countdown, there's music playing, there's a theatre full of people. Um, 
part journos, part Apple employees, massive part developers. And the good thing is the developers are, you know, hugely enthusiastic about uh, Apple products. And so therefore they, um, they do the cheering and the screaming in the audience. Um, but Tim Cook will get on stage at 10 a.m. San Jose time, uh, 3 a.m. Sydney time, if you're uh, looking to get up and stream it. It will be available on the Apple website and on Apple TV. Um, so 10 a.m., he'll get up and he will talk through some basic company uh, status. So they'll talk about the penetration of iOS. They'll talk about the success of the year. Um, might have been this event last year where he talked about how Apple Watch was the, the number two selling watch brand in the world, um, not just smartwatches, watches overall. They will highlight the the news that was announced just a few days ago that $70 billion had been spent, um, had been paid to developers uh, since 2008, uh, $10 billion of that in the last five months. Uh, and considering that 2016 was a $10 billion year, um, we're in for something very, very big um, once again here in 2017. Just think about that, right? If they're on track to have $22-odd billion um, spent on apps in 2017 alone, um, that'll take it to $80 billion. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of money that's being spent on uh, on and in apps. So Tim Cook will talk about all those things. Um, he'll, he'll likely highlight the um, the uptake of the most recent version of iOS because um, iOS is, is pushed directly to consumers from Apple, not through telco. So um, Google's Android uh, struggles big time with its app software, up, sorry, its, its um, operating system software updates because they all, all pretty much have to go through the manufacturers and then the telcos. So most people have got a one or two year old device will never see the latest version of um, Google's Android, which is just ridiculous. So let's look at what I think we'll see. And this is all just complete speculation based on rumors, innuendo, and just my own gut feeling. Firstly, um, they will talk big time about Swift, their programming language. Now, Swift isn't a language they built from scratch to, um, to allow people to learn to code um, better and easier and actually make apps um, for their products. Now, I think they will talk about the number of people that are using it, uh, the penetration of Swift as a language. They'll talk about the simplicity of it. They'll probably get the youngest kids out to show how amazingly easy it is. Um, there, there'll be a lot of talk about um, their code because it's even even bigger deal for Apple that they've created a programming language and they're using that programming language to build apps that makes billions of dollars for, for developers. So I think there'll be a big, strong focus on that for sure. We can pretty much assume and rely on that. <clears throat> now, watch OS. So, so basically, remember, this is all about software, okay? they The point here is not to announce a new phone, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But the point here is to talk about how the software is going to change. And every year, you, you get an incremental change to software on, on nearly all devices. So watch OS, the operating system that runs on the Apple Watches, is when underwent a, underwent a radical change last year, and I don't think it'll be as radical this year, but I think they'll they'll offer up a bunch of um, new improvements. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's um, it's five thirty a.m. in the morning here, by the way. Um, so pardon my voice. Um, the health and fitness, I think, will be a focus for the Apple Watch because I think they've they've been able to notice that that's an area that has attracted people. So I think they will um, try and enhance their um, the utilization of the health and fitness data. Um, and maybe expand that out to other app developers uh, on the watch OS. Um, on the Mac, so Mac OS, um, you know, Mavericks uh, 10.12, um, 
that will get an update every year it does. I've got to be honest. I think I don't think even think I've upgraded in the last year and a half to my Mac OS because it's kind of all just really small incremental changes. So um, there will be a, a compelling update. I think this is the year to really do something different. Um, normal things you'll see are performance enhancement, power efficiency enhancements for, for, for battery-operated devices like MacBooks, um, and then a bunch of workplace and workflow improvements. Uh, not as easy to highlight these ones, to be honest, unless they come up with something radical. Um, so really not sure about that one, to be honest. Um, Apple TV will likely get an update as well. It's it's probably their their best unknown feature. I mean, that's a great product that really doesn't get the attention that it deserves. I do have a gut feeling that um, they might add 4K video support to Apple TV. I'm not sure they can do that through uh, software updates, so there might be a new device uh, come out with that one. So, you know, Netflix and Stan in, in 4K would be a very, very big deal, I think, for people. So stay tuned for that one. And then, of course, on your iPhone. What do you think is going to change about your iPhone? It's one of those ones where you sit there and go, well, what would I change? <laughs> what would you do differently? <clears throat> Got to be honest, there's not much I'd do differently. Um, I think, if, you know, when you swipe up from the bottom of your phone, you get the control center. And if you don't know, swipe up from the home button onto the screen and you get this small pop-up window, which is where you can turn on and off Wi-Fi, adjust the brightness. You swipe to the right, you get your music controls. You swipe again, you get your home kit controls. I think that there, there needs to be, my, my view is there needs to be user customization of that. So I'd like to actually move some of my HomeKit controls into the, the initial swipe. Uh, I, I don't need uh, the lock orientation button. So why can't I make my, my studio on air light be there? Um, why can't music controls be a focus for me instead of brightness? You know, make that customizable, though I, I, just, I just doubt Apple will do that. But that's where I'd go. And I think the other thing they need to focus on is, is HomeKit. Now, HomeKit is their smart home automation software, which brings together a bunch of devices. There have been more HomeKit devices in the last five to six months than I've seen in a very, very long time. So I think we're going to start to see a real ramp up of this space for Apple, which is great because it is really easy to use. And the last one that I would point to is, is music. I think they, they did some pretty big enhancements of music last year. I think they need to do a bunch more, especially given they're about to, about to launch uh, Carpool Karaoke. Um, the the TV series within Apple Music. Um, so they need to show us how they're going to change the music app to account for video, if you like. Uh, I know it's already there, but it just seems that if they're moving into this, uh, you know, on-demand streaming space, they need to uh, they need to refine the app just a little bit. Um, it's not, it is still a bit of a clunky app, um, very powerful behind the scenes, but still a bit clunky. So too much, too much in it, really. Now, the user experience is quite complex. So that's probably another area they'll, they'll update. But there'll be a bunch of things that no one could ever predict here that they come out with. Um, and hopefully they'll, um, they'll be all for the better. So <clears throat> outside of software, what will they do with hardware? Not traditionally an event where they would announce any hardware, but I've already suggested that there might be an update to Apple TV. Um, I think that would be wise and I think it would be welcome uh, and keep it very competitive. Uh, it's absolutely unlikely that the MacBook Pro will get touched because it's only really quite still quite new. But the MacBook Air is aging. Now, I know they dropped the 11-inch MacBook Air and they still have the MacBook, but I think a, an affordable MacBook Air uh, is, is long overdue. 12-inch screen, it's kind of a, uh, not dumbed down, but uh, just a different... I th I, uh, the thing is the MacBook, which is their smallest laptop, is actually a premium product. 
Um, so I just feel like they need to have one level below that, like the MacBook Air 11 inch used to be. So I don't know, maybe they'd make a smaller one. I, I, I don't know, but I think something MacBook Air needs to happen. Um, unfortunately, they still won't go touchscreen, although it absolutely has to be inevitable. You can talk all you like about Siri being amazing and that'll probably be updated in a bunch of devices. But honestly, touchscreen, where is it happening? But I don't think it'll happen this year. Uh, the Mac Pro, which is a kind of really high-end machine, looks like it'll be dropped and perhaps uh, a Pro iMac will be announced. Well, I would think this is a great time to announce an iMac Pro. But could the overall iMac, the all-in-one desktop for um, for Apple, could that get an update as well? Um, it's still a beautiful machine. Like, it still looks great. But it is old now. It's many, many years old in design. And when you put it alongside the Microsoft Surface Studio, you start to realize that there's there's other designs out there. And I think that's uh, that's what Johnny Ive needs to deal with. He needs to work out how he revolutionizes his all-in-one machine um, and competes with something like the Surface Studio. So I'd love to see an iMac uh, update. Um, one of the key devices I think we will see announced is the Siri Home. Uh, what it'll be called, we don't know, but a little device that sits on your uh, coffee table or somewhere in the, in, the, in the house that listens. And so you can walk around and say, hey, and I won't say a name to ruin your phone, but you can speak to it and then you know maybe have it to adjust the music, maybe turn the lights off, um, those kind of things. It will be interesting to see how they utilise um, the, the Home Assistant it kind of like Siri needs a massive update if it's going to work because Amazon's Alexa is great because it, it orders stuff for you from Amazon. Google's Home is good because Google's pretty good just searching for stuff. You know, okay, Google, what's the uh, what's what's 110 miles in in kilometers? You know, you can, it'll just do that stuff. Um, I'm not sure Siri's renowned for that, even though she can do it. She she relies on the web a bit more, so that'll be very very interesting. I think that device though will seem underwhelming, but in five years from now, we'll realize how important a, a, a home hub like Siri Home or whatever it's called will really be because of the amount of smart home technology that we'll, um, we'll have and be able to get in the market. And look, finally, the iPhone. Um, no, they won't announce a new iPhone, but could they preview a new iPhone? I think that's the real question. So I'm, I'm of the view that if developers are in the room and Apple is about to radically change the way the iPhone works. And the radical change that we anticipate is the screen gets taller, like on the LG G6 and the Samsung Galaxy S8, and there's no home button. How do developers cope with that? How do developers use a virtual home button or a replaced home button? How do they realign their screens? There's a bit of work that developers have to do, and they need to tell them now so that they have several months to get their apps in order. And I think they could they could announce it all in September, but that gives developers one month to, to change their apps. And I think that's, I think it's a bit rude. But so, so my gut feeling is what I would do <laughs> um, if I was them is I would tease the hell out of it. So rather than showing a phone, I would show a like a mock-up that doesn't give away what the sides of the phone is going to look like, but it does give away that the home button is disappearing. And just simply that. Just simply like a, a lower third, you know, darkened view um, that just shows that the screen gets bigger and, and the, the screen is close to the bottom. And utilize that as a tease that says we have to redesign our apps, folks, for both um, the home button and non-home button iPhones. And that will set the developing community alight, but it will also set consumers alight. 
and it will pretty much stagnate the sales of every other device on the planet because everyone will be then waiting till September for Apple to announce the next iPhone. And so sales of, of phones for two or three months will literally fall because Apple have this thing coming that no one wants to miss out on. It will also, though, cannibalize their own sales. So that's a good reason not to do it, if I'm honest, because it will actually cannibalize their own quarterly sales. So hard to tell, but um, you would have to... You would have to say it's unlikely that they will announce anything iPhone, but if they were to announce anything, it would be something subtle like that. Anyway, uh, would love your views. Uh, love to know what you think is going to happen. Uh, jump on the Twitters and uh, let me know what you think is, uh, is coming from Apple in the next uh, 24, 48 hours. And when it does happen, uh, jump on the Facebook page and let me know what you thought of it because um, you, um, you're, you're following it as closely as I am, basically. So let's... Um, Let's see what we all think, and any guesses you've got, uh, keep me informed. Doing uh, the the show, uh, Your Tech Life, episode 367, live from San Jose. Thanks to the good people at Garmin. And the new Phoenix 5 is now available. It's an $800 smart watch. This is a multi-sport GPS watch for fitness, adventure, and style. It's a premium multi-sport GPS watch with elevate wrist heart rate technology. Uh, Fit for adventure with rugged design that features stainless steel bezel, buttons, and a rear case. Uh, Puts key stats at your fingertips with the performance widget that shows the effects and progress of your workouts and has connected features including smart notifications, automatic uploads to Garmin Connect, an offline fitness community, and personalization through free watch faces and apps on the Garmin Connect IQ store. Uh, Has a bunch of sensors on board, outdoor sensors including GPS and GLONASS satellite reception, three-axis compass, gyroscope and barometric altimeter. Uh, Two-week battery life in smartwatch mode and 24 hours in GPS mode. Gee whiz, the Phoenix is a beautiful watch. It really is. Um, something special for you to uh, for you to see. And on, on the power of smartwatches, it's actually, and I've got to say, I think it's probably um, behind maybe the Apple Watch, uh, probably the most popular smartwatch out there. I see more Phoenix smartwatches than any of the other um competitor brands in smartwatch space so they're doing a very good job uh, to target that you know high-end multi-sport and uh, activity-based consumer the phoenix 5 available now check it out at garment.com.au now i was in london last week um, and i should say um, the we, we we landed in san jose to the news of the horrific attack in london and um you know stephen fennick and i uh watched the state of origin together in a in a little pub we left the pub and we walked up a road to the London Bridge. Uh, that road is where this uh, attack occurred, the borough markets. We drove past, we walked past. Um, in fact, I was watching the TV this morning, all the TV crews are st- in a shooting from out the front of a cafe where we stopped to get coffee. And we walked across the London Bridge and it is, it's a, it's a beautiful, open, wide bridge uh, with no pedestrian protection from the road because why would you ever need that? Um, and, you know, I mean, amazingly fortunate for us, the, the worst thing that happened to us was um, Stephen got bumped into by a, a bloke in a backpack and it knocked his, uh, Stephen's coffee all over him. Um, other people have lost their lives there. It's unbelievable to think what happened there just days after we were there. And um, thoughts to all the people in London, especially those listeners in London. Um, um, shout out to you and hopefully you're, um, you're staying strong throughout. The reason we were in London, though, was with Intel. And um, we <laughs> were... We flew over to go to the cricket 
the cricket was rained out. I saw about an hour of cricket and then it was rained out. So that was joyful. But we actually came over for a press conference. And I'll, t- I'll bring you an interview in a moment with, um, with one of Intel's senior, um, senior marketing execs um, who knows more about this product than, than I, could, I could ever imagine. But just quickly before I bring you that chat, um, two key things, three key things. The virtual, they had a virtual reality experience for people at the game to, you know, muck around and actually stand there holding a cricket bat and, you know, facing a, a ball and hitting it through the covers, which is a good execution of virtual reality, but I'm just not a massive fan of that. But they had a drone that flies over the pitch to get pitch reports, um, which did a very good job, I'll be honest. Um, it, it scans the pitch in infrared and with a camera to determine whether it's a seamer's or a spinner's pitch. And those pitch reports will be available in the TV coverage. And then there's a there's a sensor at the end of a bat. Now, not every critter, cricketer is using it, um, let's be honest, but the ones that are, we're now able to see um, how high they swing, how fast they swing, um, the speed at which they connect with the ball, a whole bunch of stats, which would be really useful and interesting throughout the series. Um, And the great news is that technology is coming to you. You'll be able to buy this BatSense technology in just a few months from now in August for about 150 US dollars, so probably 2250 in Australia. Put it on the bat of of your own cricket bat or your son's or your daughter's, whatever it might be, and you'll be able to use an app to, to, to monitor their swing. And here's the amazing thing, if I can paint this picture, and I think I mentioned this in the interview too, so sorry for the repetitiveness, but let's say you're in the cricket nets. Uh, get a little tripod, put your smartphone on it, film yourself or your child playing cricket. You hit hit record within this app for BatSense. And what it does is it records the hour. Let's say you're batting for an hour. records the hour. But then when you go back to watch it, you don't have to watch through the hour for every stroke. You get every stroke listed because the bat knows when you hit. And you can look at all your best strokes and you can watch that video back. Look at your worst one, watch that video back. So it actually clips up all of your strokes individually so that you can view them back. It is spectacular technology. It really is um, so well done uh, and well worth well worth a look. I think it will sell like bloody hotcakes, to be honest. Um, they've done an amazing job on the technology and it just um, it just basically rolls on the end of your handle and it's very easily, it's easy to put on. You just roll down your the handle cover and um, and place the thing on and then then roll up the handle cover. It's it's really, really simple to use. So very, very cool. Anuj Dua is uh, from Intel, uh, and I caught up with him at the Oval. Well, I've come all the way to England to uh, watch cricket, but uh, I've been able to do a little bit more than that, and I've been able to hear a little bit about some technology changes occurring in the game of cricket, and I'm joined by Anuj Dua from Intel, um, who explains some really, really interesting stuff about uh, what Intel has happening here at the cricket. Anuj, thanks for joining me. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Firstly, there's, there's really kind of several things we want to talk about, but let's talk about drones first. Okay. Uh, I've talked about drones on this show a lot, and uh, I've got to say I never imagined that the drone would be doing the pitch analysis. Now, Australians would be familiar with Tony Gregg's famous pitch reports, uh, growing up as a kid watching mm-hmm. him put the keys into the pitch. You have a completely new way of analyse, analysing the pitch before a cricket game. Yeah, we do. Um, so before every Champions Trophy game, what we expect to do is have uh, an Intel Falcon 8 drone fly over the pitch, and it's fitted with these high-definition imaging and infrared cameras that'll take 
pictures of the pitch uh, that give you some information beyond what the naked eye can see. It gives you a sense of uh, what the grass cover is like, what the health of the grass is like, and hopefully that becomes interesting commentating. So the sensors must be extreme for it to be able to do an analysis that says this is a seeming or a spinning pitch. I mean, we're talking more than just your average consumer drone here taking photos. This has got, uh, what is it, infrared sensors on board? Yeah, so this, this is a commercial-grade dr drone, um, and you can imagine the applications for a commercial-grade drone are anywhere from oil rig inspection to telecom tower inspection to indeed agriculture. Yep. And so the payload on the drone, so there are two parts of the technology, obviously, the drone itself, yep. which flies above the pitch, which is important for this kind of an analysis because you want a vantage point where you can actually get a good view of the pitch. Okay. And then the payload, which actually is quite a bit of sophisticated technology um, that uses cameras, and these are not Intel cameras, these are off-the-shelf, you know, high-definition, professional-grade cameras uh, that capture images as well as infrared um, uh, you know, output. And yep. then the combination of that actually tells you a lot of information about where there's grass cover, where there's not, and indeed the health of the grass. And so you'd be able to see from that, because you walk out there on the, to the naked eye, and I'm not a cricket person, but you know, you, the, the people that do know, they look at it and they go, well, this is, uh, is going to dry faster, yeah. it's going to crack faster, you can see the undulations. But that will now be available, and you'll make this available to the teams, obviously, but also the broadcasters. So they can actually show this infrared picture of the pitch, which can inform the commentators through the day. And that's one of the big outputs of this, really, isn't it? Informing the commentators who are, who are trying to educate people on what the heck's going on out there. That's indeed right. You know, and... You know, we've seen traditional commenting growing up. You know, you'd find the commentator kneeling on, on, his, uh, on his legs and kind of tapping the pitch and yeah. trying to get a sense of where there might be, you know, fast areas or dead areas. Well, now you don't have to guess anymore. Mm. You've got the output that actually tells you where, let's say, there might be a streak of lush grass that a left arm seamer might want to pitch the ball on or there were, where there might be some dry patches that a spinner might want to hit. Yeah, yeah. You're right, that's exactly the point of of fitting these cameras and getting that kind of output for the broadcast. Fascinating stuff. And then um, the other bit of technology that's critical here is the bat sensor. Now, uh, every time I write or see the word bat sensor, I think of Batman, so it's really starting <laughs> to really play on my head. But uh, this is a small, and I'm talking, you know, 20-cent coin, uh, maybe one centimetre in height size device that uh, clips on the end of the bat. And you're going to have players from, select, select players from certain teams who choose to do it because it's a choice at the moment. Um, with this sensor on the end of their bat, what is this going to tell us about what they're doing out there in the middle? Yeah, so the idea is to make the technology small enough that they can put on their bat and take, that out, take it out to the middle with them um, and not even feel it on their handles. And when they, when they play a cricketing stroke, you now get a range of information that comes off the bat. Things like your bat speed, the point of impact, the angle of your back lift, the angle of uh, your follow through and so all of a sudden now you've got this rich data from every cricket stroke that becomes available to the smart commentators and people who've been in the sport of cricket who can make some sense of it and, and integrate it into, into the broadcast so on a 4 or a 6 you won't be able to just admire the shot you can actually tell how fast the bat was swung to he actually the swung the bat faster that time that, we could right. see that that's exactly right right you, you, know, you can actually quantify something that was previously subjective which is wow that was tremendous bat speed on a, on a helicopter shot or what have you and I think uh, former England captain Nasser Hussain made the point here this morning that um, in the early parts of the tournament, in fact, in the early days here, it won't mean much. But That's after right. your tournament, the, the ICC Champions Trophy goes through, and also as the years evolve, we're going to know about you know the the back lift angle of different players versus their their follow through speed and angles, and it's going to be able to compare player on player. And I think that will be fascinating for people to compare, a, you know, Steve Smith with a Dave Warner, and understand you know why one hits a certain way and another. This is going to add a whole new layer to the the viewing experience, the fan experience. Yeah, and I think that's that's precisely the, the intent of something like this, right? Which is add some more depth and color to that 
uh, to that canvas of commentating, right? And how a player negotiates a fast bowler versus a spinner. Um, boy, I don't think people really understand that. And Nasser made the point that he's seen a few players that negotiate those different play, uh, bowlers very differently and their stances change. And I don't think there's an appreciation for the casual viewing public uh, and certainly uh, aspiring cricketers who want to emulate you know, a really good batsman out there. And so I think now all of a sudden they've got some of this in their, in their hands and they can, do, uh, they can do miracles with it. And critically, which leads me to the final point, this is a con commercial product. Uh, come August, uh, it'll be available in, in major cricketing nations, including Australia. Um, this is a, a genuine product that people will be able to buy on the shelves, roughly 150 Australian dollars, uh, uh, US dollars. Um, so this sensor will allow dads and mums to put a, a sensor on the end of their, their, their kid's bat if he's really a striving to be the next Dave Warner or uh, uh, you know, a lower-grade coach to you know, run it in training so they can use it. It's sensational what can be done in your home um, practicing your shot. Yeah, and that, that was really the genesis of this, right? The idea was you can get all this kind of information through expensive high-speed motion cameras installed in the stadium, but what about the school-going cricketer that actually wants to better their game? They want to learn and, and, and get that edge and really get to the next level, evolve from you know, backyard cricket to a stage like the Champions Trophy. And we think that putting a tool like this in their hands with an app and a, and a, and a $150 puck, that all of a sudden now gives them data of every shot that they've ever played in a net session or in a practice game and then have a coach analyze it and give them input and feedback and, and see the progression as they continue to use the device is frankly the, the opportunity we see and, and us cricket lovers wishing we had this kind of technology when we were growing up playing cricket. Kids of today and tomorrow are going to be literally comparing their swings to professional grade cricketers um, who are you know competing in the Champions Trophy and understanding whether their swing, their follow through, their angle, their speed is anywhere near or who they're on par with. That's right. And, and, you know, there are many unintended consequences of a technology like this, right? You're right. There could be probably people who, who look at it, who play at a certain bat speed level, you know, specialize in something else and backlift angles uh, specialize in something different. So we don't know where the technology could go. All we're trying to do really is simply provide a simple capability in the hands of people like coaches who can make a lot more sense of how to use this mm. and frankly give us feedback on what could we do to make a better generation two product right you work for intel um easily one of the most recognized technology brands in the world and um you know growing up um i like everyone else listening you know recognize intel inside as being you know the the sign that this computer had this computer had an intel chip inside it did you ever dream or imagine that, A, you'd be working for Intel as a kid growing up in one of the biggest cricketing nations in the world, and B, that Intel inside would apply to cricket? So I can say yes to the first question yeah. and a definitive no to the second. Um, I actually grew up as a technologist, and I, and I aspired to join. You know, I took computer classes, and I always wanted to join Intel. Uh, and so I got there finally, and 23 years later, I'm still at the company. Uh, but no, I had no idea that we would ever be talking about chips and cricket, uh, you know, and cricket bats, right? That, to me, is sort of a culmination of a, of a career of, of working in technology that, influ that inter intersects a passion that I have and what could be more rewarding for, for, for someone who's, who's in this business. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, congratulations on the product. It's uh, wonderful to be here in England at the Oval uh, as a guest of Intel to look at the technology. Good luck with the, uh, the, the technology through the ICC Champions Trophy and, of course, leading through Christmas when kids will be opening uh, little bat, uh, bat sensors uh, from, uh, with Intel technology inside uh, all around the world. Yeah, it makes for a great stocking stuffer, and I'd recommend anyone who wants one gets, gets one. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Your Tech Life brought to you by the good folks at BlackBerry. Now, um, you can put your name down to register for the pre-sale for the new BlackBerry Key 1 at blackberrymobile.com. 
www.blackberrymobile.com.au. BlackberryMobile.com.au. This device will be available next month. It's $899. Uh, yours to buy outright. Uh, the BlackBerry Key One is distinctly different, but it's distinctly BlackBerry. The um, I've had the device now for a few weeks, and it is just beautiful. I love the fact that it looks very, very different. It doesn't look like every other smartphone, not just because it has a keyboard, but because the overall design is different. The back of it looks different. The camera is, is a much different look. Um, and it's it's just a beautiful smartphone. It is everything BlackBerry. BlackBerry fans will flock back to them. Um, very easy to configure keyboard shortcuts. The keyboard is a trackpad, has a fingerprint sensor, high security all over the device with a DTEC security app to allow you to actually check the security of the device as well. The BlackBerry Key One, my full review at eftm.com.au but most importantly, if you're interested, put your name down. BlackberryMobile.com.au. BlackberryMobile.com.au. Now, gee whiz, if you've ever tried headphones and wondered, well, these these are a bit expensive. What were they? Two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars? You might have a set of. I got. Uh, I wear um seven hundred dollar Sony MDR. Uh, MDX MDR one thousand X headphones on the planes. Uh, I love them. But I got, a, I got information from our mates at Grado, G-R-A-D-O, Grado Headphones in Brooklyn, that they'd released some new headphones. Now, if you remember, a couple of years ago, I wore these things um, that, that they'd sent me. They were under $200, a set of headphones. Um, but they were just spectacular. The sound was so pure and crisp. Um, the only negative about them is you, you're, they're really for your own listening because they you can basically everyone around you can hear the sound as well. But they've just released a set of headphones that are a kind of a, a Metallica wooden hybrid. Um, they're a beautiful, comfortable design. Um, they've they've changed the diaphragm diaphragm quite significantly, and and I love this simple quote about their description of the sound. If the artist performed it, and the engineer captured it on the recording, you will hear it. I mean, that's a pretty big claim. And the great thing is that with so much high-res audio available now, these are actually like legitimate products. So, um, look, I don't think they're going to be for everyone, though, because they are $3,500 in Australia. But interestingly, though, I think they were two six in, in the US, and I did the exchange rate, and I assume they're going to be four grand. So they turned out to be quite a good price in Australia, um, as much as that sounds quite funny to say that a $3,500 set of headphones are a, are a good price. But uh, probably something we'll all have to just aspire to, and um, when we've got ridiculous amounts of money, uh, we can throw them at a, at a set of headphones like that from Grado. Uh, but check them out on, on, uh, on EFGM. They're a beautiful set of headphones. Um, check them out now if you're interested in sound and all things uh, audio. Another thing to do with audio that I saw this week, and this one's interesting. Now, it should be noted that it's illegal to record a phone call without the knowledge of the other person. But for some people, recording a phone call is a, is, is a really useful thing in, in their day. Now, you could be a journalist um, or you could be someone doing a conference call. And all you've got to say to people is, I'm going to record the call so that I can you know refer back to it later. And it's completely legal to do. Now, how would you do it, though? There's no app on an iPhone that can record a call. Well, there's a company called PhotoFast in Taiwan, and um, I think they started out doing photo stuff, obviously. Uh, anyway, they've got a product called the Call Recorder coming onto the market. Now, the Call Recorder is uh, it, it attaches to the lightning port of your phone, uh, a little kind of two or three centimetre, about two and a half centimetre uh, tall um, kind of module goes on the bottom of your phone. It has a record button on it. So you plug your headphones in, <clears throat> and then you have your phone call. You hit record during the phone call, and it starts recording the phone call. So you've then got a record of that phone call. Now, I'd be thinking about this. I could uh, I could do, because one of the things I don't do when I'm away, like in this show, is 
uh, the talkback calls for you if you've got a tech question. And, of course, if you've got a tech question, send me an email. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. Um, I can't do those because I don't carry my, my studio around with me. It's, it's, it's a bit ridiculous to do. Um, I could do I could do talkback. I could do calls. So I'm going to give this thing a try. They're going to send me one. I'll have a bit of a play with it. But interested to know what you think. It's, uh, it's I think it's about 100 bucks US. Um, so we'll see how it pans out in Australia price-wise. Um, but a cracking little product from um, PhotoFast, as, as strange a name that is. That's, um, that's what they're called. Um, check that one out as well on eftm.com.au. Now, we do it all thanks to the good people at Trend Micro, and their home network security box um, is a great device for keeping your home uh, network safe and secure. The Trend Micro Home Network Security Box will block malicious websites and on devices, including gaming consoles and smart TVs. Now, if you haven't understood what I mean here, imagine, imagine an Apple TV, a little black box. You plug it into power, and then you plug the Ethernet cord, the network cable, into your network. That's all you do. Then you open up your app, the Trend Micro Home Network Security app, and you start connecting to the box and you can turn on or off any network security features you want. And they might be to block uh, malicious websites. Now, the thing is, if your kids are using a gaming console or you're using a gaming console or the web browser on your TV and you click on a malicious link, how do you know it's not going to infect that TV with some sort of spyware or malware? This will block those sites. It'll also monitor and restrict the web usage of the internet for children. Uh, it will defend devices against network attacks. Uh, it can monitor network intrusions and notify you of any risk of cybercrime and control the usage and security of connected devices via the mobile app. Great little product from Trend Micro, the Home Network Security Box. Check it out. Um, go to go to uh, Trend Micro. Search Trend Micro Home Network Security. Um, great sponsors of your tech life. Now, news this week from the NBN. <clears throat> um, so you can tell I'm not putting stings and everything into the show. I'm just going to talk all the way through. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> um, I'm slowly getting my voice. I'm wondering if I'm losing my voice which is not good given we've got a full day of uh, radio and TV reporting to come <laughs> with the Apple event. But anyway, the NBN has reached 5 million Aussie homes. Now, 5 million homes is a bloody big milestone, you've got to be honest. Um, and reaching 5 million homes is one thing, but only 2.2 million homes have been activated on the, on the NBN network. Now, they don't expect 100% of people to connect to the NBN. They are required and they will provide the NBN to every single home, but they don't expect every home to connect to it. But I do ask myself why so many people don't take up the NBN from day one. Now, yep, I've heard some horror stories myself, but I've also heard just really simple, great stories. And the thing is, people complain more than they um, more than they praise. <clears throat> so if you've not got the NBN, my simple question to you is this. Have you checked... Have you gone to the NBN website, nbnco.com.au, and checked if you can get the NBN? Now, I had this conversation with um, two people who should know better um, only in the last week, and I, their, their lack of awareness of NBN technologies was a bit staggering. Their lack of faith uh, in the fact that the NBN would come at the time frame that was listed, and I've said – and I, no special treatment here. I, I checked the NBN website, I don't know, eight months ago, and it said I'd get the NBN between um, April and June 2017. And do you know what? It's available now at my home. I'm away, so I can't get it. I'll get it the day I get back. Um, but if you're not checking, 
then you can't connect. And if you're not connecting, it's your own fault, your own problem that your internet's slow. You might have ADSL now and you might think it's great. And you might be going, oh, the MBN's going to be crap. Trust me, it's going to be better than your ADSL. Now, if you've got cable right now, which up until now was the best NBN, which was the best internet you could get, right? I get 100 meg down, but I only get one meg up. If you've got cable now, yeah, the NBN isn't going to offer any radically great speed improvement. <clears throat> Quite frankly, it might be slightly slower on the download, but it's going to be much faster on the upload. So I'm going to be able to get 20, 30, maybe 40 meg uploads. And what's great about that for me is I make content. I make video and audio content, and those things are going to be uploadable so much faster now. Um, now, does that matter to you at home? Probably not. If you're sharing videos and photos of your kids, it'll happen faster. If you're backing up files and photos to the cloud, it'll happen faster. So why aren't you connecting to the MBN? And what is it that's stopping you? Love to know. Um, send me an email. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. Uh, let me know what, what you're doing about the NBN, if you've got the NBN, and why you don't connect to the NBN, if it's available at your home. Those are the questions I have for you today, folks, um, here on Your Tech Life. You can, go, you can always get in touch. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. Now, back in March, uh, Hisense announced their um, Series 8 and Series 9 TVs at uh, the Formula 1 Grand Prix. Now, they've never brought the Series 8 and 9 TVs to Australia because they're a slightly more premium product and they're slightly more expensive. And I think what Hisense has noticed is that there is a bunch of people flocking to their product because they're so affordable. But there's also a bunch of people going, oh, what are they? They're a bit cheap. So what they're going to do is they're going to have these Series 8 and 9 available so that they've got something higher end so that people see them as a higher end product. But the Series 7 TVs, the one that last year I gave the Best TV Award to, are going to come in at the very similar prices to last year. So 75-inch TV for $5,000 and a 65-inch TV for $3,500. That's cracking good value, folks. Brilliant value. Um, And if you want a smaller one, <clears throat> the uh, 55-inch TV will be uh, $2,500 and the 50-inch TV will be $1,700. So new Hisense Series 7 TVs coming on the market now. The critical thing to do in the store when you're buying a TV around now is ask what year model it is. Because if you think the value is really good, it might be last year's model. Now, that's cool because last year's model is bloody excellent. Um, is it a big deal that you don't get this year's model? Yeah, if you can afford it because they're, they're slightly better picture quality. There's slightly more advanced features. But um, will it be the end of the world if you, uh, if you don't get this year's model? Probably not. So now's a great time to get a bargain. Um, but also now's a great time to look at the 2017 range of TVs from all the manufacturers, LG, um, Samsung, Sony, and Hisense. They're all um, ready to rock and roll now. And uh, you should check them out. Um, go to Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, the great places to look for uh, for big screen TVs, high sensors TVs. The Series 7 pricing is now at eftm.com.au. Now, one last thing before I go, um, and uh, I've been banging on about this one for a couple of weeks now, Foxtel Play. So a couple of weeks ago I mentioned they were uh, axing about 19 channels. Um, <clears throat> while I'm away, so during the next few days, you'll you'll hear more from Foxtel um, because they are announcing their new service. Uh, it'll be called Foxtel Now. Um, it'll be a quite quite different service in many ways, but the main thing is technical tech-wise, they're upgrading it big time. So it's going to be a more reliable stream. It's going to be a better stream, <clears throat> and I think also critically. Um, They've added some really cool tech. So I've, I've been able to read a copy of their terms and conditions for, um, for the new service, and it mentions HD, 
So you're going to get HD streams via the uh, Foxtel Play internet-based service and Chromecast. So you're going to be able to watch it on your big screen TV. Now, <coughs> Foxtel risk losing, risk a bit of churn here on their main service because I've only got Fo- Foxtel Box now because for about 60 bucks a month, I can get the Formula One. <laughs> I can get the sport Foxtel Box with the sport package. Now, with the... Foxtel Play, I can get a $10 like kids pack and then I can put the sport on top of that, I think for $29. So what I'm paying $39 a month there and I can get sport. Now, if the sport's in HD, I'm going to try it. I'm going to test it. I'm going to see the quality and I would save the $10 a month on my um, on my Foxtel box. So it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. Um, that's the announcement this week coming. It'll be called Foxtel Now. We'll have full details during the week at EFTM dot com dot au thank you for listening thank you for downloading i uh, love your feedback at all times uh, the website eftm.com.au you can hit me up on twitter at trevor long uh, thank you for letting me into your car or your ears while you run wherever you are um, i'll be back uh, in town next week we'll do another full show with your call so if you've got a question about technology you want answered from me go to the website eftm.com.au of course, I'm on the radio every single night, uh, every single weeknight, uh, 8 p.m. Uh, on Talking Lifestyle, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, uh, 954 Sydney, 882 Brisbane, did I say 1253 Melbourne? I don't know. Uh, on the AM band, just look up Talking Lifestyle or go to the website talkinglifestyle.com.au. And if you really want too much of me, there is a podcast of that as well, going very, very well. Appreciate your support of that if you are listening to it. Um, just search Talking Lifestyle. Oh, sorry, just search Talking Technology on your podcast app and look for either the full show or just the interviews. We do a couple of interviews a night, so lots of tech content there. I'll be on the Today Show uh, 7.55 on Tuesday morning, your time with all the news from Apple. Uh, until then, uh, until next episode, thanks for listening, thanks for downloading, and thanks for supporting our sponsors, Garmin, Trend Micro, and BlackBerry. Remember that new website, blackberrymobile.com.au. Talk to you next week.